1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Brittany Spanos from Rolling Stone. Hey, Brittany. Hey. And we have a very special guest, AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys. What's up, AJ? Hey,
2: hey. How you guys doing?
1: Good. Welcome. Thanks so much for doing Thank this. You
2: for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure.
1: So you guys are uh, you're going Vegas. <laughs> you you have a Vegas residency starting March first.
2: It's pretty overwhelming. I mean, this is the biggest show I think we've done probably since millennium. Um, it might even be a bigger show than millennium. Obviously, you know, Vegas, you you, you kind of got to go big or go home. So uh, <laughs> we are definitely going big, hence the name of the show, Larger Than Life. Uh, this is definitely going to be a Larger Than Life show. So <laughs> It's
1: crazy to look back though. I mean, people You know, every little twist and turn in your life was so important to an entire generation of kids. That must be crazy to think about. It's
2: true. It's true. You know, I mean, looking back, you know, there is some there were some definite perks um, that we that we talk about now in in like most of our interviews, which is there was no social media back then. So that was (laughs) kind of the upside. Like you could pretty much. I hate to say get away with murder, but, you know, you could do pretty much anything. And, you know, paparazzi really never bothered us that much back in the day. Um, You know, only if you made it public knowledge that something was going on in your life, like through the media, through TRL or through MTV or maybe the Internet, there was really no outlet for for like fans to really know what was going on in our lives personally. I mean, yes, you had the inquirer and star, mm. but though, you know, those are the magazines that not necessarily are speaking the, you know, scripture, but, um, now with social media and everything, you know, it's, it's, it's all instant gratification. So now you really got to be extra cautious, <laughs> whatever <laughs> you do or say, because it's going to be up on Twitter, Instagram, social camp, whatever it is. And then, you know, so, It is really cool, though, to actually sit back and think, you know, how much our music has affected a huge generation, that we still have the most loyal fans in the entire world. You know, the fact that we are a global group and that, you know, coming to Vegas, which is a a massive international hub, you know, you don't think that at first, but it really truly is. I mean, if there's any international hub in the United States, it's definitely Vegas, Mm. you know tourists coming from all over the the walks of life, all over the world, coming to Vegas to gamble and have fun and do this and go see shows. And now, come and see your boys, you know? You know, everyone's (laughs) favorite boy band is going to be there posted up now. So, it's going to be awesome to hopefully not only keep the same generation that's going to come see our shows now that have been with us from Jump Street, but hopefully start a whole new generation of Backstreet Boy fans. All these, you know... All of our fans now are you know moms, dads, doctors, lawyers, you know teachers they're going to bring their kids to our concerts now and hopefully start a whole new generation you know
1: in the documentary, there's a moment when you're I think climbing a hill or something and you're worried about your knees how about how about <laughs> dancing <laughs> How about dancing? How much of a physical toll does trying to do moves that you were doing when you were twenty? not that you're like eighty, but still i mean <laughs> how, how does um, that work for you,
2: you know, it's it takes its toll here and there. I mean, I've had knee surgery on both of my knees. Ah. Um, you know, uh, I kind of compare us to being like athletes in a sense that, you know, you are putting your body through kind of the ringer every single show. You're jumping around and you're being thrown up on toasters or jumping off stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of wear and tear, but if you, if you eat healthy, if you work out, if you get sleep, there's no reason why you can't continue that, that same, you know, lifestyle on stage I mean in in this show right now I think we have 21 songs and we're dancing on 17 of them <laughs> so I mean you know we're still we're showmen that's the thing is we haven't gotten to that age and, and that point yet to kind of just sit on stools and sing I mean can we do that yes is it nice sometimes to do that yes. But we're a bunch of hams. We're showmen, and we and we we always want to put on the best show possible for all of our fans. And this is this couldn't be a better show that represents the last 24 years. I mean, we are covering every single base. There's so many surprises. I can't give anything away. It's it truly is going to blow people away. Like i I I kind of wish it was March 1st already. You there,
1: do you ever want to totally? Do you ever? Except then you'd get to miss the uh, the 14 days of uh, nonstop rehearsals. That's why you wish it was... <laughs> also true, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, but do you, are there deep cuts that you like to slip in or you would like to slip in? Or, or does it, is it kind of you really just have to deliver the hits because there's so many of them?
2: I mean, you know, we were trying to... The, that was the biggest challenge, I think, of putting this show together was really the set list. Obviously... You know, the whole premise of the show is based on nostalgia. If you look at Britney's show, J-Lo's show, and Celine, it's all nostalgia. I mean, that's what you're coming to see. You're coming to see the hits. But there's also a lot of fan favorites for us. There's also a lot of band favorites that we sprinkled in there. You know, whether it's in a medley form or it's a full song, there's just, there's it's a good problem to have. There's just, there's just too many songs. <laughs> you know, so uh, trying to make a healthy balance where – the group is happy and we feel our fans will be happy, but we're also giving all of our biggest hits to the masses was a bit of a challenge, but I think we've got the perfect set list. The show flows effortlessly. And I really think people are going to just be able to just for almost two hours, go on this Epic journey with us and relive their youth and relive their childhood and, and, and go back to the best moments of their life, whether it was, high school or your first crush or your your wedding day or the day your kid was born or just going out with your girlfriends and going to see your you know favorite group whatever feeling it is i think we're definitely covering all the bases on this show
1: there was a time when you were very uncomfortable with the term boy band and then you turned around and and really yeah. decided to embrace it and kind of said we'll be <laughs> not only we're we a boy band but we we might still be doing this in 20 years when we're 60 and and that we'd be happy to be doing it what what did it take to hit that new place of acceptance?
2: I think just, you know, after all said and done, I mean, it. we always said it was about the music first. And we, we've we've always said in, like, interviews that we're a vocal harmony group, which is truly what, that's that's what we would call it here stateside. First time we ever heard the word boy band was over in Europe, and we didn't know what the heck that was.
1: <laughs> but and you knew you didn't like it. Kind
2: of, yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> well, when the interviewer kind of broke it down and, it, and kind of, a, 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 you know, explained it to us that's still not us. It was like, oh, it's a put together group of five pretty faces. One or two of the guys really sing, the rest don't. And they're singing and dancing and it's like, well, all five of us sing. Mm. I I think we're good looking guys <laughs> and we're dancing and we're moving around and you know, but the one thing that we had that a lot of the groups in Europe at that time didn't have is we could sing a cappella at the drop of a hat. So, you know, that was the one thing that blew everybody away overseas. And that's still something that we truly pride ourselves on. Um, but, I mean, you know, you kind of have to just accept things from time to time. Like, if you want to call us a boy band, that's fine. <laughs> we're, we're the longest-lasting boy band in boy band history. I mean, 24 years this year, call us whatever you want, you know? It doesn't matter to us anymore, you know? Just give us a call. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, if you want to call us a boy band or a man band, whatever the heck you want to call us <laughs> – It's totally
0: fine. Um, Can you tell me about the experience of when you guys debuted? I know that you first broke in Europe before you broke in America. And at the time in American culture, it was like Nirvana and Green Day and all these sort of this like anti kind of 80s hamminess, anti-pop sort of movement. Like what was the experience of breaking through with pop music in American culture um, after having the success in Europe? I know it's kind of like a little bit of a stumble at first.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously... You know, we had released our first single all over the world, which was We Got It Going On, and it peaked here in the U.S., I think at like 60-something on the dance charts, and it never moved. Um, Because, again, like what you just said, we were competing against Nirvana, Green Day, Snoop, Dre. It was, you know, Biggie. It was a whole other world. But Europe just opened the floodgates for us. Um, But I would really attribute our success coming shortly after that, not shortly, but after that, due to the Spice Girls and Hanson. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the Spice Girls really kind of broke here before us with Wannabe, and then Hanson had, you know, Mbop, and that just kind of opened up the floodgates for Pop. And then all of a sudden, we decided to kind of re-release our first single and go with a different song, which was Quit Playing Games. And MTV just didn't really want to play the video at first. They were like, oh, these cheesy guys, they're wet, and they're in the rain, they're taking their shirts <laughs> off. What the hell is this all about? And then all of a sudden, it just something, something in the U.S. clicked. Um, But I would say for for us, it kind of came through France. And then it trailed over into like Montreal and Quebec. And then it leaked down into New York, upstate New York. And then Manhattan, Z100 was one of the first U.S. stations to really play us. And that's how it really kind of flooded into the U.S. And then it was just like this tidal wave. Um, and shortly after that, TRL was born, you know, where they had to have a way to have fans be able to see their you know top favorite videos and then have a way to retire these videos, you know, and that's when this whole movement started. And that's when TRL happened. And then now you've got us and NSYNC and Britney and Christina and Ricky Martin and Still Hansen and Spice Girls. And this whole movement just dominated for, I'd say, a good 10 years.
1: I remember nothing was more confusing for people who who hadn't heard of you yet when Backstreet's Back came out because it's like, back from where? (laughs) I've never seen these guys. Yeah, right, exactly.
2: Where'd you guys come from? Where'd you go?
1: Was there any discussion? Yeah. Yeah. Was that discussed at all before that thing came out?
2: Uh, No, because, you know, in our mind, we always refer back to what we call the Red Album, which was our very first album ever, which was was only released in Europe and everywhere but the U.S. And, you know... uh, Backstreet's Back, when that came out, that was our second album globally, but first album really in the U.S. So you're right. It was like, Backstreet's Back, we're, we did not even know where you went. <laughs> Who are you? Like, what's going on? But, you know, it was just one of those things where we had to balance between records because we we already had one full album cycle everywhere else in the world except for the U.S. So, you know, I don't think we we, we actually thought of it in that perspective in that moment but now looking back it is kind of funny if you if you you really think about it like actually he's back from (laughs) where we never went anywhere
1: so when you guys met max martin and for people who don't know max martin is you know one of the great 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 pop songwriters of the last 25 years probably ever and probably also one of the greatest songwriters ever um and he wrote many of the backstreet or co-wrote many of the great great backstreet boys songs uh, and, and kind of broke through to the U.S. with you guys. He was 18 years old when you met him?
2: Uh, he was, I think he was 20, okay. actually, uh, which is still super young. Um, him and Kevin are the same age, so I think he was, or I might, he might have been like 22, actually, okay. when we met him, because uh, Kevin was 21 when we started. Um. So, yeah, I'd he was like 22, 23 when, when we met Max, but still super young. You know, he looked like Lars from freaking Metallica the first time we met him. His hair was down to his butt, you know, and he was this quirky guy in a black T-shirt and black jeans and, you know, chucks and spoke pretty good English and was being mentored by the all great and powerful Dennis Pop, God rest his soul. Um, you know, we got thrown over to Sweden. It was our first time as a group ever leaving the country. Uh, Kevin had actually been to Europe once before with his wife, but for the rest of us, it was our first time getting a passport and going over to, you know, anywhere outside of the U.S. and to meet Rami and Dennis and Christian and Max and, and Andreas and Herbie. It was a whole new world for us. You know, we didn't know what to expect. And it just kind of, once we sang the first song, which I believe was We Got It Going On. Wow. That's when we kind of found what we call the Backstreet sound. You know, um, somebody just said in a recent interview, one of the writers and producers that works with Florida Georgia Line, that, you know, Backstreet Boys can sing and sound like whatever when they're singing separately. But when they sing as a group, it's undeniable. You know, that is Backstreet Boys. Like, we just have a sound that you know is undeniable. You know, you might hear Nick on a verse or me on a verse and maybe you're not sure. Wait, is that Backstreet Boys? I'm not sure. The minute that chorus comes in, yep, that's definitely Backstreet Boys. That sound was created with us and Max and, and Dennis and all of those guys. Like the whole like, <laughs> that whole thing, that was that was Max and Dennis. And that's that's how Backstreet got their sound.
1: Born in Sweden. You know, it's funny when you look at you uh, in the very early days when the group was formed. It, I don't think visually or anything, it was clear like, oh, this is the quote unquote bad boy of the group. You just were, you just were another sweet kid. Uh, when did the sort of the quote unquote rebel bad boy, both kind of persona externally and also in your actual behavior, how did that kind of come to be part of your 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 role in the group, both externally and externally, internally and externally? You know,
2: it's funny. Um I think it kind of started, actually, in, I'd say probably, man, I'd say probably it started in when we did the We Got It Going On video. Um, you know, we were shooting it. It was the hottest day in Florida, I think, record history. Like It was like 104 degrees, and we're in leather and denim outfits covered. It was miserable. <laughs> but right, right as I'm walking out of the trailer, Johnny Wright looked at me, and he's like, he looked at all five of us, and he said, something's missing. And he took the sunglasses off of his face and gave them to me and said, that's it. That's your, that's your thing. That's your, like, <laughs> signature thing. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. And it's true. It ended up becoming kind of my trademark, which is the sunglasses. And I always go back to that Tom Hanks film, um, uh, Why well, Now I'm Drawing a Blank, that thing you do. Right, and uh you know, and oh my it's God, covered. it's the
1: same thing, yeah,
2: <laughs> his name was Shades, you know, and that's not that wasn't my name, but it was that same thing, like he needed something, you know, um, but I don't know, I think for me i've 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 kind of always been a little bit outside the box um since I was a kid i mean i've I've always strived to be different um and unique and kind of a a kooky, crazy kid, you know, I don't like to me, normal is boring, um you know, I don't obviously I kind of got caught up a little too much with the abnormal side of me, but, um, you know, I think for me, it, it, every group I guess kind of has to have the cute one, the old one, the sexy one, the (laughs) funny one, and the bad boy. There's, there, there is a formula. Um, you know, if you go back to new edition, you had Bobby, if you go to new kids, you had Donnie. Um, and if you go to backstreet, you had me, um, you know, I didn't know, At first that it was gonna that i was gonna become the bad boy or be kind of typecast as that per se but um not gonna lie it was fun (laughs) in the beginning uh you know to kind of just have a carefree life that's just kind of how i still live my life is very carefree you know being a father now like i kind of get to relive my youth through my daughter's eyes and it's just so much fun i mean i'm still a big kid i mean I just had to retire. My wife made me retire. I had every single uh, Nerf gun ever, ever made <laughs> locked away in my closet just for, like, having Nerf wars at my house. <laughs> and my wife's like, okay, we need to make space for the new baby. You're going to get, you're gonna have to get rid of all this. So, like, I'm, I'm just always going to be that way. That's just me, you know? Was, was
1: part of the sort of fun but also the danger the fact that hey my role here i'm supposed to be the bad boy might as well snort this coke like was was do you know what i mean was, was yeah. it was it yeah okay
2: i mean you know it, it's it's weird because i was so anti everything i was anti smoking anti drinking anti drugs anti tattoos and look at me now <laughs> um, you know i i kind of just fell into i would say kind of just losing myself cuz when you're in, when you're when you're in a group Obviously, we are always trying to be uh, a team, a unit, and support one another. But at the same time, when you're in a group and you and, and you have the massive success that we had at the rate that we did, starting from '99 on, um, you do lose yourself. And I definitely, you know, I started to kind of surround myself with what I call hanger honors or
1: leeches—people
2: mm. that were yes men that would tell me and do whatever I, you know, asked never really taking my feelings or my well-being into consideration. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. So, you know, if I'm at a party and somebody offers me blow, I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, let's do it. Mm. You know, never, never thinking that it was going to become what it became. You know, I still to this day, and I've been to treatment three times, I don't believe in, in addictive personalities. I mm. believe in choice. I, I believe... Everyone has a choice to drink a beer or drink a six pack. You know, in that moment, you have that choice. Now, whatever choice you choose, that's on you and you have to hold yourself accountable. And I never did until I finally figured it out, per se. Um, You know, I'm very happy being sober now and I'm and I'm very happy, you know, knowing that I can still be the bad boy, but controlled. Like, you know, I still want to have fun. I still want to be crazy because that's me. But now I have other things to think about. I have to be responsible as a father, as a husband, as a bandmate, and as, I don't want to say an idol, but as but as a mentor, per se, or somebody that
1: people a role look model. up to. Yeah. Our
2: fan, fans want their kids to be able to look up to their favorite band and not see a sloppy drunk, you know, or a freaking coked out guy. Like, that's, that's not who they're kids want to go see in concert or meet at a meet and greet you know if i reek like a freaking bottle you know <laughs> so i think it's now it's it's being able to, to turn the negative into a in, 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 into a positive and try to be more forthcoming as opposed to introverted you know i mean that was my biggest issue was being very insecure you know having to live up to this bad boy image was was really hard you know, it's, it's not as it's not, not as easy as you think to live up to being a bad boy. You know, I mean, you really if if you're going to do it, you're good. Then then you then you got to go all in, you know, and I went all in. So.
0: And what was that first moment when you realized that the bad boy image wasn't worth it? And when it started to go downhill and you decided to seek treatment and find help for yourself?
2: Um. You know, it was during it was during Black and Blue. Um, you know, I was. I, I knew that it was bad when I started drinking on stage um, and not showing up to rehearsals. So not you know, wait, you were, dr- you
1: were drinking stage. on stage during shows? I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Well, right before I went into treatment in, in 2001, um, the last three songs of our set, uh, right before the call, we had this little skit and I would literally like you would hear the phone ring and I would be like walking to our band. Hey, are you calling me? Are you calling me? <laughs> And I would go to my percussionist and there would be a red Dixie cup filled with Jack. But, you know, nobody knows. They think it's water. And I would just chug it and then finish the show. Damn. And that's when I knew shit was getting really bad. Like, okay, now I'm bringing it, it you know, it physically into my job. Um, not showing up for things, not being responsible. It definitely was affecting my voice, my my way of thinking, my way of being, And, you know, it was, it was starting to obviously wear on the fellas and they actually hired a therapist to come on the road that I never took advantage of. She would see me every day and say, Hey, do you want to sit and talk? And I, I would blow her off and say, sure, we'll talk later. And then I would never talk. Um, because I don't, I I didn't think I was truly ready yet. And when Kevin and I had that moment, um, in my, in my hotel room in Boston and we exchanged some pretty gnarly words, that was the moment. That I needed for me to go, wow, okay, I need to get help. Like, this is really, really bad. And that was after um, there was
1: a show, I, I think the words Coke coma, coma were used that you were, you just like did not, were not able to do well, one show. Yeah,
2: we were supposed, well, we had a day off the very next day after the show. And the night before, we had all agreed as a group before the show on our day off to go for one hour and sing the national anthem at a major league baseball game. And I had said, sure. I partied that night. I decided I didn't want to do it the very next day. And my tour manager was like, well, you better talk about this with the fellas. And I just said, screw it. I'm not doing it. I'm tired. I didn't sleep. I want to rest. Kevin was not having it and broke into my room. We exchanged words. I said I was done. I was going to quit. And that I didn't need this. And you guys are not being supportive. And you're blowing it out of proportion, yada, yada. And my therapist basically made a phone call to a treatment center in Tucson, Arizona, and said, I think you should go straight what they call door to door. So I literally left the very next morning uh, and went straight to Arizona and never went home, never got a chance to see my you know, family or anything. I just went straight to rehab and it was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, it, saved, it, saved, it, it, it truly saved my life. I think had I kept going, I pretty much could guarantee either I would be in jail or I would be dead or I would have killed somebody else in a drunk driving accident. Who knows, you know, and it's it's scary to think that way. But that is the harsh reality, you know?
1: Yeah, well, thank God you did. I I mean, as I was saying, it it was from my perspective you know it's it's so interesting to hear it from your perspective because there i was on the 29th floor of uh, 1515 Broadway at MTV and you know it it really was uh, again like such a such a big deal such a uh, that when 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 this happened and and the the other guys i don't know if you've ever went back and watched the interview but they did an interview with john with my friend john norris um, where they're just weeping because I, I mean, it literally felt like they were holding a funeral for you looking back. I mean, I think, I think maybe they really thought maybe that was it for you in the group. Do you think? that? I I've,
2: they- I've, honestly, to this day, I've never watched it and I won't. Um, it's just for personal reasons. And it's just kind of like, I don't, I know what I was going through in that moment. So I don't need to be reminded and I don't want to have to kind of go back into a dark place in my head. But, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty emotional day. I mean, I obviously heard about it. I saw clips here and there, but it just shows you that why we're still together. It's yeah. little things, not I, oh, I shouldn't say little, but it's things like that, that prove that groups like us can stand the test of time through communication, through honesty. Our fans are the smartest fans in the entire world. They know where we're staying before we do half the time. So like we couldn't go and just lie, you know, like knowing our fans, they would have found out regardless. So let's just be honest. Let's just keep it real. And look at how much love and support to this day. I still get fans saying how proud they are of me. And, you know, thank you for getting me through my problems. You're a huge inspiration. We know it's a daily struggle. And of course, have I stayed sober the past 16 years? No, Mm. um, You know, but it's a it's a it's a constant struggle. But I'm sober now and I have been for 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 quite a while. But it's a daily struggle and it's going to be that way the rest of my life. You know, um, there's nothing I can do about that except do the work, have the support of my loving family and my bandmates and my true friends and not care about what people think. You know, I'm human. We're all human. If I relapse. okay, guess what? I'm human. I pick up myself and I move on the very next day and I start over. Um, But when I go and do things now, I have a different point of view and I have different priorities in my life now. So now I think, okay, before I'm going to pick up that drink, Mm. I'm going to think about my daughter. I'm going to think about my wife. I'm going to think about my family. And what is this drink really going to give me right now? What is it going to give me? Absolutely nothing. Maybe a moment of instant gratification. And then what? So, now I look at things through, like I said, through my through my daughter's eyes, and now about to be a father again. You know, there's congratulations by the way. Great, yeah. gr- thank you, thank you. There's just too much great stuff going on in in my life, in the group's life right now, to go backwards. You know, it's only moving forward now.
1: What was it like to rejoin after after that? Because it did seem like I I, I really got a sense from them that that they weren't quite sure if they were going to be able to, like, reintegrate you or whether things were broken at that point?
2: Well, I mean, when when I went on Oprah with my mom and the guy showed up to surprise me, um, that's when I knew that it was like, okay, (laughs) they accept me with all my faults as I accept them with theirs, you know, and they really do love me. Like, we are family. We are brothers. We fight like brothers. We laugh like brothers. We have fun like brothers. And we're always there for each other. Um, you know, whether it's Brian's open heart surgery or Howie losing his sister or Nick's family or my rehab or, you know, Kevin losing his father, whatever it is, we have always tried to be there as much as we can for each other. And that speaks volumes to me. I mean, this is like a, like a, like, like being married, you've got to keep it real and you've got to be supportive and be selfless and not, and and not, you know, selfish. Um, And I think we truly do lead a a very selfless life as a as a group and as a unit. And that's why, you know, I had 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 they not shown up to Oprah, what I'd ever known. No, but that might have made me feel a little bit timid coming back. Like, are they going to be watching me like a hawk? Are they really going to trust me now? And they did. And they open the doors back up and they open their arms, and that's when I was like, "Oh wow, you know what? this is freaking love, man like this is this is brotherly love, and I feel confident they're making me feel good about myself. I feel good about myself now, and that's what's most important
1: um Brittany, you had another question for a j yeah,
0: um, I know that. Last year, with the death of Lou Pearlman, I'm wondering how that has affected you guys going forward. I know that the relationship with him was very <laughs> strained, and I mean, obviously, there's as much to thank as there is much as much to hate him for. Um, but of I course, mean, coming course. back and doing this um, Vegas residency, well,
2: yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's bittersweet. Um, you know, when when we were shooting our documentary, one of the key things that we strive to try to do that we almost almost had come into fruition was us to actually go to the actual prison and sit with Lou as a group and and ask the the all-wondering question of why, Um, which sadly never came into fruition, um, you know. But that's the only frustrating part for me now um, that will never get answered is why. Why did you do – why did you – break up a happy home why did you become the you know greedy person that you did knowing that we created this thing together and we were a family and we could have seen this up until now and continued to be happy and successful and everybody wins do you, um,
1: do you think he you was uh, do you think he was a a, a predator as, as some people believe
2: you know it's funny I I'm the kind of person that unless I see it with my own two eyes, I don't believe it. Um, Even if I read it on CNN, you know, it's like with the way the media is nowadays, with the way people twist words, twist photos, twist everything, um, you know, you can go back to the allegations against Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I sadly, so sadly never had a chance to meet the King of Pop. Nick did. He's the only one of us that did um because Aaron used to hang out a lot with Michael and you know i i don't in 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 my heart of hearts i don't think Michael had a, had that kind of bone in his body um and i never saw Lou act any way like that around us towards us towards anyone um he was big papa he was like a father figure to some of us um he was never inappropriate around me or any of us he was just Lou you know always trying to make the environment fun Um, always trying to push the envelope, always trying to get us the best possible, anything. Um, you know, so again, if I saw it with my own two eyes, then I would have a different opinion. But since I never did, I don't believe anything that I hear.
1: Have you ever discussed it with the other guys, that issue?
2: I mean, we've, we've, we've talked about it when it, when it came out, the allegations came out. We obviously talked about it and we all kind of rolled our eyes like, really? Like, if it isn't bad enough that he did what he did, now they're going to throw this on top of it. You know, again, it's the media, I think, that, you know, it takes one person to say something and, it's a, and it becomes a flash flood. And I don't know who that person was that started it, but, um, again, no one's ever going to know. You know, no one's ever going to know about Michael, no one's ever going to know about Lou, no one's ever going to know about anyone that had allegations like that towards them unless there is, you know, absolute proof. So it's just one of the many wondering questions that will never be answered, sadly.
1: Right. And as you said, you have enough other problems with Lou. I mean, there's also, I mean, it is very funny in the documentary, like you guys, there they were. There you were, and you see this entire other boy band rehearsing. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me, but you know, vocal group. What they, they're more of a boy band, frankly, than you guys. If I had to say, I think you are genuinely more of a vocal group. I always thought that, and then in, in sync, I think even they would admit we're more of a classic boy band. But anyway, you see this other group <laughs> rehearsing, and you're like, Lou, what the hell is this? That must have been a quite a moment.
2: Well, you know, it was it, in that moment we were told, like you know, from everyone's side that okay, well. We have this other group, but don't worry, you know, since we're managing them, since we're controlling them, we won't let them, we, we can then keep them out of your way. But then <laughs> What started happening was we were like nonstop at that point for almost nine years straight. So we were burnt out. So every time we said no to something, InSync was there. Um, and they were new and fresh in the scene, so they didn't know any better. So I don't blame them. Um, you know, and, and we're all friends. So it's like, it was just one of those don't shoot where you eat kind of situations. And it, and that's exactly what ended up happening, you know, and, (laughs) Then next thing you know, not only is it our, our, our you know, team working with them, but now our label signs them. And now it's, it's just everything was all too close to home. <laughs> it's
1: such a nightmare when you think about it. It's so crazy.
2: Well, I mean, I kind of always look at us like, sadly, like the guinea pigs. Um, because we were the first, not the first boy band, because there obviously were many boy bands before us, if you want to call them that the new additions, shy boys to men, new kids, you know, even back to like the Jackson five, but in the, in the era of the word boy band, you know, we were kind of the first. So yeah, whatever mistakes that we learned or that we went through other groups that were following, obviously learned from our mistakes and go, okay, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to sign that kind of deal. Yada, yada, yada. So, but again, we have no remorse, we have no regrets. Have we not gone through the highs and lows that we did, I don't think we'd still be here today. I think it made us stronger, I think it made us tighter as a unit, it made us smarter businessmen. You know, back in the day all we really cared about was getting on stage and, and doing our thing. And when business starts to go south, you know, you, you really, this is our freaking livelihood, this is how we take care of our families. So we needed to get more involved with the business side. And I personally hate the business side. I'm a creative guy. I just want to do music and perform and make people happy. But now being older and having to be a father, a husband, and a businessman, I do want to know where my money's going. I do want to know how much we spend and how how we can make things work better for us as a group financially so we can continue this amazing journey for 25 more years. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, back then we had people doing that for us when now looking back, sadly, we're taking advantage of us. But we didn't know. Mm. We were young. Everything was kind of a whirlwind. And, you know, people said yes to us for everything. And it was up until the point that Brian filed the lawsuit because he opened his eyes that, OK, wait, something isn't really right. You know, we've been touring massively selling out stadiums and we only have X amount of dollars in our checking account. That doesn't make any sense.
1: It's such a classic music. It's such a classic music business moment. It's like, wait, where the hell is our money?
2: Right? It's just. Absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the best bits of advice we ever got was from one of the, one of the temptations we (laughs) opened up at this festival for, for the uh, temptations years ago. And one of them told us, guys, you know, this is show business. So just always, think in the back of your mind while you're doing your show your business could be walking out the back door (laughs) and that's one of the best bits of advice we could have ever gotten so now we're very very in tune with what's going on completely around us
0: Mm -hmm. and when you guys went on hiatus and when Sync broke up, I mean, that was really the beginning of, or it was the end of this huge pop monoculture that existed in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and there have been a few, like, pop groups since, and I think One Direction may be the one that's come the closest to where you guys were and the amount of success you had. Um, but do you think there could ever be that level of, like, a pop group, a boy band being that big ever again?
2: Um. I mean, I'll never say never, but I think there is something to say with, it's a phenomenon. What mm-hmm. happened with us is truly a phenomenon. Um, you know, when there are phenomenons that happen in life, in culture, in, you know, in our generation, I don't believe that they ever happen a second time. Lightning doesn't necessarily strike twice in this business. There will always be, like, like you just said, there will be... Copycats. There will be mimics. There will be things that get very close, but never truly achieve that moment in time that was a phenomenon. Um, you know, I feel like we have been on this this steady climb um, since since even Kevin left. We've never stopped touring. We've never stopped making albums. Um, we're about to go back in and make our tenth album. We're about to do a Vegas, and it's like. You know, radio now is starting to come back around. Everything is starting to come back around full circle. And I feel like we're right on the cusp of kind of having that, that phenomenon almost happening again, um, obviously on a much different level, but still that, that moment of greatness, um, you know, because we've, we've, we've strived to persevere through all of our adversities, through all of people's doubts, the media saying, you know, that we're done, Radio not you know not playing us in the past 13 years, um, you know MTV not playing us necessarily, you know it's just
1: well they don't play anything okay. anymore so you don't have to worry about that <laughs> right. anymore. Right, well, yeah. I know. They play <laughs> they literally play reruns of Friends now. But go on,
2: yeah, sorry. Yeah. Which is not bad. I'm the biggest Friends fan in the world. So not, not friends. Um, but I feel like there's about to be this huge resurgence, this huge explosion again, and again I owe that. To personally to our fans and to the and to the music our music has been able to transcend generations and that speaks volumes to me man i mean like that's just something that that, that that doesn't happen every day that's why i say this is truly a phenomenon like the beatles was a phenomenon there will never be another beatles i don't care how many groups of four guys that play songs there will never be another beatles there will never be another prince there will never be another david bowie and i don't believe there will ever be another backstreet boys Mm-hmm.
1: Probably not. So, what, I was, did you watch the Grammys? What did you think of the whole? Uh, everyone, there's a, there's a real feeling that Beyonce might have been robbed of uh, album of the year. Did Did you agree? Did you have any thoughts on that?
2: Um, you know what? When you look at artists across the board, you you can't necessarily look at the the media aspect or the you know glamour aspect or the all the other things, but if you look at just music and just song for song and you look at the the plethora of writers and producers that were standing up there with Adele, Ryan Tedder, Shellback, Max Martin, the three of the best of the best of the best. And on top of that, Adele, who's an amazingly talented singer-songwriter. Um, I don't feel that that anybody got robbed. I think... Who won is who should have won. Um, do I think Beyonce's record was not good? No, I think it was fantastic. I think she's beyond talented. She's such a creative trendsetter. She is so like past her years. I feel as far as like her create her creativity and her her you know power of her of her words and how she inspires people, but. I'm sorry if I if I had to choose between the two, I would have picked Adele as well. Um, I think it's sad that because of the America that we are right now, that people are saying it's a racial thing. It's this. I'm like, it's got nothing. Let's let's stop with all the racism, people like it's got nothing to do with race. You know, we are all equal across the board, you know, enough with all this segregation and you know this that and the other music is for everyone music is for every culture every race every age every genre um you know and in this moment the better album won it doesn't mean that she's more talented than beyonce or vice versa i mean you saw adele pretty much her whole acceptance speech was honoring beyonce you know, so there's that mutual respect out there because they're both equally as talented. I mean, they're both amazing icons. You know, so All right. I don't know. I think uh, I think the Grammys this year were were very interesting to say the least.
1: Fair enough. I mean, it's, you guys drew. Uh, you know, the the vocal group sound that you guys have itself owes so much to to black artists, of course, right?
2: I mean, we grew up with. Being huge fans of R and B and Soul, Prince, Stevie Wonder, Boys to Men, Shy, um, The Temptations, The Shy Lights, I mean Doo groups, that was that was like R and B. Like that's harmonies, that's what we tried to, you know, emulate when we got together. Um, you know, one of the first songs we ever attempted to pick out the harmonies to the minute we got the actual final five the first night that we met Brian and we picked out it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. And that was one of the many songs that we would sing at all these label meetings to try to get a deal. You know, we would sing that or shy or color me bad. You know, these are groups that we looked up to and I'd say 95% of them were urban black artists. Um, you know, but We just love music and we love R&B and pop and all kinds of music. I mean, hell, we have a song right now that's on country radio Hmm. with Florida Georgia Line. I mean, we love music all across the board.
0: Um, Did the Backstreet Boys, since you guys and Destiny's Child were kind of coming up at the same time, did you guys have a relationship or encounter each other at all um, kind of at these Um, moments?
2: Yeah, uh, I kind of believe, I, I don't remember... And, and I might be being misquoted on, on saying this, but I believe that they either opened up for us or they did a show with us once. Um, when I mean, there's a photo of, 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 of all nine of us together. And they <laughs> were super young. We were super young um, back in like, like I think 2000 maybe or 99. Um, but I mean, you know, those girls are still one of the, my favorite girl groups in like the urban market besides like En Vogue or TLC, I'd say Destiny's Child man, and we're just on another level. Um, I really wish that they would do something together again. Um, I think it would be it would be huge.
1: We'd have to figure out um, which which lineup first, but yeah,
2: but yeah. <laughs> well, yes, of course. There's so many versions and variations of that group, but uh yeah.
1: So I want there was you told a funny story which which is you you once asked your wife how many people she'd been with and of course she then responded and and asked you the same question and you're like I am not answering that question because
2: <laughs> I guess, <laughs> didn't you yeah ex- you know I I used to be really really insecure with my relationships and for some reason I would it was that kind of insecurity thing back in the day where I would try to torture myself and no no more information than I should know about my relationship just to find a, a reason to, like, not be committed and, like, back off and, like, not have to really be in a serious relationship. So if I had these pictures of my girl's ex's penis size or how many times they had sex, then I would be able to kind of distance myself, which is absolutely the stupidest thing anybody can do. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, after we went through the less than a handful of relationships that my wife had been in. And then she was like, all right, well, I guess it's fair. I can ask you the same thing. I was like, oh, hell no. You are not asking me that. Uh, <laughs> because you know, I'm, she goes, you know what? I don't want to know. I'm sure I can imagine. It's pretty disgusting. But I still love you and da, da, So, yeah. Thank God she's the most amazing woman that she is and that she doesn't look at that like, you know, judges me based on many years of whoring myself out before I ever met my amazing <laughs> wife. You
1: know, Good, uh, group yes, so uh, black and blue tour groupies or whatever we're talking about here, but yeah, the,
2: the, <laughs> many a tour groupies. I wouldn't even just pick one tour. It's been going on since I was probably seventeen, bro. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I I probably we we, we promised uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll with the with with, with the Backstreet Boys. And I guess we got there. Um, AJ, it sounds like this. uh, It sounds like the Vegas residency is going to be awesome. Uh, You know, I I haven't seen you guys since the Black and Blue Tour. Uh, I was uh, (laughs) but I just I just watched the tour, man. I wasn't. And uh, but but thanks so much uh, for being here and uh, hopefully we'll talk to My you soon. My pleasure.
2: Thanks for having me. And you guys better come out and see us in Vegas. For sure. It's, it's
1: a day. This has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Tune in next week at 1 p.m. on Sirius XM's volume or download us as a podcast at rollingstone.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.